Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. This week, I'll be speaking with Katie Rose. The youngest on her block and in her family, a very competitive Katie Rose bemoaned to her father, Marshall, that the big kids didn't want to play with her. His response, build something that they'd want to be a part of, and they'll come to you. One treehouse later, Katie and all the older kids were now playing together. That same philosophy and action applies today with the company that Marshall founded and the one which Katie is now the CEO. Pins Advantage is a San Diego-based SaaS company that helps businesses track certificates of insurance. And like the treehouse, the big kids are coming to Pins with clients like Enterprise Car Rental, LAX, and the city of Glendora. Katie recalls making 30 calls into 10 different offices to close Enterprise. She's tenacious and passionate about the business her father created and leads with a visionary mindset. A graduate of University of Boulder, Katie also received her coding bootcamp certificate from UCSD. She's an avid long distance runner and is not afraid to put in the miles as proven by her outstanding and unwavering efforts to close enterprise. Today, PINS has clients across multiple industries, including airports, cities, rental car companies, property management, and more. Check out www.pinsadvantage.com and see how we can help build your business. Welcome to the show, Katie. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm really excited to be here. Great. Let's get started. So Katie, as a woman in tech, can you share with us your career journey and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, certainly. Um, I graduated college and came home and decided to work on building out this software company, PINS, with my dad. My dad was, for his entire career, still is today, an insurance broker. And he sold insurance to general contractors. So, you know, for years growing up, he had explained this concept for a software that helped general contractors automate the process of collecting insurance documents from their subs. And as the years go on, and we talk more and more about this, we really honed in on, you know, this absence of a tool in so many industries. You know, an airport could use this tool, a property management company, of course, contractors could. So when I graduated college, I moved home and we really put our heads together and built out the first version of the software. And that was eight years ago. It'll be nine years ago this November. Wow, that's cool. So did you actually do the programming or did you hire somebody to do that? Yeah, no, I'm not that capable. We hired someone to do that. So we really thought through the requirements, my dad and I together, you know, who would use it, what industries we were going to target, how it should function you know, every little detail about the experience of the software and then contracted with the firm to help us build out this first version. And it's great. Yeah, we've iterated through the software since then, right? And improved it and expanded upon it. And of course, brought in new users and new industries. But really, you know, this was made in a backyard in Sierra Madre, California. Wow, that's amazing. So I want you to tell us the story about what your dad said to you when kids were not playing with you when you were young. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this this, uh, comes to rear its ugly head at me because I told told our mutual connection this story. So 
I don't know how old I was. I think I was five or seven, somewhere around there. And I was the youngest kid on my street. We lived on a cul-de-sac. So you can imagine, you know, it's just like kids crazy, rollerblading, bicycles everywhere all day. And of course, you know, a couple of these neighborhood kids and my sister are hanging out and they don't want, you know, the littlest kid to join them, whatever it was they were doing. I can't even remember. So I come home and I'm sad and I'm telling my dad they don't want to play with me. And so he explains to me that in order for them to want to play with me, I have to genuinely have fun and that they would follow me more or less. Right. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember exactly what he said, but that message was clear and confusing at the time because I'm so little, you know, I'm asking myself, well, how am I supposed to have fun if all I want to do is play with the other kids? So right. fun is being with them, right? <laughs> right. Like, hey, you know, I hear you, but it doesn't make any sense. And I don't really have a great memory. So it's funny that I remember this story distinctly, but he then asks me what I want to do. You know, he's like, I'll play with you. What is it that you want to do right now? If we can do anything, what sounds fun? So we start to build this little house. I had this imaginary friend at the time and I tell my dad, I want to build a cardboard house for Cindy to live in. So he says, okay. So he starts pulling out all this stuff out of the garage, you know, like big pieces of cardboard, a bunch of spray paint, like just the funnest things you can do when you're little. And we start to build it. It's going well, it's looking cool. And then the neighborhood kids come into our backyard and they see this epic playhouse we've created. And then all of a sudden the story changes. They want to play with me. They want to play with, you know, this playhouse and they think it's really cool. They want to build their own. And it was interesting because at that moment it clicked for me what my dad was talking about. You know, if you really want to do something and have people follow you, then it's so easy. You just have to have fun, just have fun and they'll follow you. And it reminds me of this, you know, build it and they will come. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Build it and they will come. And I feel like today I'm just still building things with my dad and they're still coming and it's fun. I love it. That I love that story. So uh, Katie, what is your perspective on creating something from nothing? Oh yeah, that's, uh, I have so much to say in that arena, but I guess I can walk you through it, you know, just around what's motivated me to do this job and help build this company and really grow it. So when I think about building something from nothing, it's a daunting task, right? I mean, you're starting from ground zero. It's all just in your head, how you envision it. And then actually executing that vision is a totally different process and skill set comes with its own challenges. I think when you ask yourself what you want to do when you're little or when you graduate college or at these key moments in your life, for me, I always, you know, asked myself, like, well, what's my ultimate driver? You know, what do I like? And I think I like a challenge. So the idea of building a company from nothing that didn't exist before appealed to me. Of course, insurance is a little dry as a subject matter. I mean, I hope I'm not offending anybody by saying that Um, since it's my field too, I think I can say it. So it's not necessarily that, you know, insurance is super interesting to me or software is super interesting to me, but that process of creating a company that didn't exist before, that's bringing a good product to the market, people that use it, love it. It helps them. It saves them time. 
I mean, that's really interesting. That something from nothing part has always appealed to me. And I don't know, maybe it's just an inherent, inherent in all of us to want to do that. You know, we have children and they don't exist until we have them or you adopt a child and you get to see it grow and change and become this amazing complex thing. And I think everybody enjoys that evolution process. Oh yeah, I completely agree. I mean, to see something come alive from nothing gives you so much pleasure, right? I mean, I love building businesses the same way and have done so, you know, in my career as well. And just your house story. I mean, that was building something from nothing. So you had the canvas was your beginning. Like you could do anything you wanted, which is so cool, I think. Yeah, it's, it is really cool. I mean, if you think about your life that way, and if you're empowered by your environment to go and do these things, you're not everybody gets the same opportunities, which is unfortunate, but if your environment gives you a chance and you take it, then, you know, sky's the limit. You get to decide what that company ultimately turns into, what that cardboard house ultimately looks like. And then it can't be, I think too, it can't be taken away from you. You know, when your motivator is just to create something and see how far you can push it and drive it, that kind of vision and accomplishment is very real, but also intangible. And it's, uh, it's yours always. It can't be taken away from you. It's not monetary or physical. Yeah, that's true. You know, I built my company from scratch 32 years ago and uh, just, you know, sold it at the end of November. Wow. And it was, you know, it was like my baby. I have two daughters <laughs> that are 32 and 35. And I'm like, oh my God, I have another baby. You know, you like do. you said, when you build it from scratch and you, it, it, it's you, it's part of you. It really is. Yeah, it's part of your identity. And therefore, it's going to go as far as you take it. So if you decide to sell it, then that's your decision. If you decide to grow it and grow it and push it, that's your decision. I mean, it's a really cool way to approach your life, like just taking on that challenge of making something out of nothing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one of my friends once said, because I was always into growing the company every year, and he said, Jen, why are you doing that? Why, why don't you just relax and let it be? And I said, no, if you're not growing, you're dead. <laughs> you have to be growing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get that. I, I completely understand that. That's yeah. a funny question. Yeah, it was. Anyway, let's talk about risk management. So what are some, of, some ways that uh, people can bring risk management in-house? Right. So when you talk about risk management, there's a, a ton to that field, right? I mean, that's a, a phrase, risk management, that encompasses a very large range of information. Right, right. In terms of, you know, the PINS software, what we've built here, that's just one component of risk management. So I'll talk about that component because I, I know it well. I think I know it well. I probably know just enough to be dangerous, but that's what I'll focus on here. So if you're an airport and you have planes landing or Uber drivers coming on and off your property all day, you have vendors inside the airport selling cheeseburgers and beer, et cetera, you have a thousand moving parts every day going on at your organization. 
and you need to effectively manage the risk associated with those third parties. Because when push comes to shove, that cheeseburger vendor, he doesn't really have skin in the game like LEX, right? He's got to worry about his business and his employees, et cetera. But LAX needs to make sure that they're protected as an organization against any mishaps that might go wrong with a vendor, right? So one way to bring risk management in-house is to look at your risk and ask yourself, you know, where in my business, if I'm an airport or a general contractor or a property management company, where's the risk? And are there software tools that can help me mitigate this risk? So if the answer to the question is, wow, I've got a lot of risk and exposure around all the airlines that are landing at this airport or all the vendors that are selling food because God forbid something go wrong and a bunch of people get sick, who's gonna pay for that? Then the second question is, are there tools that can help me manage this? And there are, there's software tools like PINs that can help you manage the collection and storage of insurance documents and other compliance documents from these vendors you're engaging day to day, just operating your business. And it is so important to have them all organized and in a software tool so that when you desperately need it, you have it, right? It's not something you have to go call a zillion people to find out where that document is. And we hear that story all the time from our users. You know, a general contractor is using pins and they've got a hundred projects going at one time with a bunch of subcontractors on each project and bam, you know, Monday hits and there's a big crack in the foundation on a job site and it's going to be a huge insurance claim to get it fixed. And there's a specific subcontractor that's responsible for doing it. You know, that risk manager that's working for the general contractor they're very you know, happy and comforted when they log into PINs and quickly pull up all the insurance documents they need to tender that claim. Of course, yeah. Because otherwise you, you feel liable, you feel nervous, there's a fear there. And this You're way you have close. everything in one place, yeah. Definitely, and I think you know, bringing risk management in-house into an organization can be an incremental process. If you don't have a good risk management strategy today and you're running a construction company or you're running a property management firm, you don't have to tackle it all at once. You can start to research tools like PINs or Smart Compliance or you know, Procore is a construction management software, but I would consider it a risk management tool because it helps a company stay organized. You know, They can see what's going on on a project really clearly through that software. Katie, do you help companies actually consult with them on just which is the best software, uh, what things to look for, all of those types of things? During the sales process, we do, yeah. We will tell them exactly where we fit and what our niche is and what our specialty is and ask them, you know, what are you looking for? What's your process? And if they want a comparison between our product and five others, we're happy to give that. That's great. That's nice to know. Um, as you know, this podcast is focused around bridging culture, pay, and employment gap for women in tech. What are you seeing in the industry to, today from your lens? Uh, as a woman, and I suppose as a CEO, there's certainly a gap in 
women in my field, in my position, and it's uh, heavily dominated by men. It's what it is. It's nothing wrong with that, but there's a little bit of a balance issue. We don't have as many women leading tech companies as we will in the next 10, 20, 100 years. You know, today there's a heavy balance on the on the male side. So there's advantages, I think, and disadvantages to being a woman in my position. Like anything, the advantages are that women have a great emotional intelligence, right? It's typically higher in women. So you have this intuition with women, right? They can read a room typically really well. And that helps coach team members, that helps you develop confidence in your employees, that helps you pick up on gaps in their education, what they need, how to empower them. So I think it's a skill and an advantage to be a woman when building out a team. I think we're really detail oriented typically too. So, you know, when it comes to tracking like performance metrics, feedback, that kind of detail, financial detail, it comes a little bit more natural, but the disadvantages exist. There aren't as many women at the table. And what I mean by that is, I guess I could say it in an example. So I'm talking with a coworker the other day and he is part of a softball league. And this is um, a gentleman, I think he's, you know, young guy, loves playing softball after work with his buddies. So I ask him, you know, who's on your team? What's the dynamic like? And he tells me that he recently joined a co-ed league because he felt that it was just more fun. He said, you know, it's not as serious. There's a better balance. There's guys and girls on each team. I've been in all male leagues and it gets really competitive. And I'm not a professional softball player, so I'm just out here trying to do my best and have a good time. And I thought, how interesting. Mm -hmm. Because I feel that balance or that need for a better balance. Sometimes I'd be lying if I didn't admit this on my board, right? I'm the only woman on our board and I really like all our board members. I mean, they're incredibly helpful and, and so smart and just great. I have not a bad thing to say about one of them, but there isn't this balance. Yeah. Yeah, I think many companies are finding that's the case on their boards and they're really, really trying to recruit more women to their boards so that they have that balance, you know, but it's not easy. Yeah, and I understand how, especially this year, since I've had my first baby, I had my first baby in February, a little girl. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. It's been awesome. It's been exhausting, but it's been awesome. And I understand how we remain a little bit unbalanced because it's very hard to split yourself as a woman in two roles, a board member, a CEO, a mom, you know, that's, how do you do that? That's the hard question. I don't know that there's an easy answer. I'm only five months in, so I certainly don't have the answer, but we will probably always face this challenge of, you know, women having a hard time finding the balance between their roles at home and work. But hopefully as we go forward, we get a little bit more of it. We see a little bit more of a natural blend with gals being at the table alongside those other board members. Yeah, it's all about balance. You know, there's, and blending is really what I see as the best way to do that is to blend things together and get everything done that you need to get done. And don't worry, oh, it's work time or it's home time or it's evening time. You know, you just literally have to get things done as you can. And 
I do that even with working. It's like I get 10 minutes in between my meetings and I do a million um, things, you know, it's like, okay, do I respond to these emails? Do I set a meeting? Do I call somebody back? I do all of that in that that 10 minutes seems so long when you're really productive. Yeah. <laughs> so you learn how to do that. And with the baby, you're going to learn how to do that anyway. You're going to yeah. be on a conference call holding the baby, you know? <laughs> you seriously do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, at least for me growing up, my parents really had an interesting narrative at home. They never made us feel like we had to make a choice. You know, it's just me and my sister, uh, two kids, both girls. And my folks never made us feel like we had to make a choice between being a girl or doing certain things because we were girls. You know, they just always made opportunities available and opened the door for us. You know, my dad never said that kind of old typical phrase, like I really wanted a boy as my first kid. I mean, that just wasn't, you weren't going to hear him say that. Instead, he constantly told us, I always wanted girls. <laughs> I and I don't that. know if he just, you know, wanted to make sure we knew like the support was there. And then my mom was just this incredibly talented, you know, very well-educated person. She was a nurse and a lawyer. And they just drove that message. Like, if you want it, you can do it. You have to work hard, but it doesn't matter who you are. If you want it enough, you'll get there. Yeah, and that's why you're so successful in such a male-dominated field. It's great. Uh, they raised you with that confidence, you know, and a lot of women don't have the confidence and they think, oh, I can't do that. You know, I'm not qualified for it. And men, if they're 60% qualified, they're like, yes, I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they they have a natural confidence that's enviable yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, as a CEO, um, I'm sure through the years there are some lessons you've learned. What lessons have you learned that you can share around running a software as a service business? I think you need to ask a lot of questions. I spent the first couple of years drilling into our customers. Uh, in a very intense way. I mean, I would stay at their offices for weeks and learn their process, understand what does it mean to be a risk manager at a city? What does it mean to be a risk manager at a construction company? And I would ask them all the questions. I mean, no question is too silly or too complicated. They will tell you if they want you to leave and they're done answering your questions. So just, it's up to you to find out. Right, right. And I would recommend, you know, early on getting an understanding of um, SaaS or software as a service financial metrics, you know, really wrapping your head around the financial side of running a SaaS company, what venture capitalists or institutional capital is expecting out of your business, what your goals are, what your targets should be, and making that part of your roadmap forever but early on, you know, really capturing an understanding of how you're going to be judged by the institutions and bringing that into your process and just making sure you hit those metrics. I think that's an area that everybody struggles with in any business, SaaS businesses especially, and I wish, you know, I had gotten an education in that arena early. Um, mm -hmm. I also focused on learning, not a ton, but 
enough about our engineering team, what they were doing. I went back to school for a uh, six month coding boot camp, not because I ever wanted to be an engineer for our company, but because I knew that that's such a foundational component of our business. We're building software. Engineering teams are always part of the story for us until we sell this business. And therefore, I should know what they're doing, how to recruit for them, the basics, right? I can't just sell a product when I don't know the basics. Yeah, that's so critical to know what you're selling, you know, and really get into the customer's shoes so that you can really show them the, the ROI or the benefits of your product. That's great. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, I'm glad I did it. Um, and I, you know, I should go back and further that education. It's never over. You always have to be learning and always, always have to be selling. I think there's this hilarious and great Arnold Schwarzenegger montage of motivation that you can find on YouTube. And that's really part of the lessons that I've learned in this montage clip. He talks about failure. You know, if he wasn't willing to fail and just totally fall on his face, you know, then he would still be yodeling on top of the Alps. And it's just hilarious, but it's so true. I mean, here's a guy that is tackling these incredible feats, some of which are physical, but also some of which are political or in the entertainment field, starring in movies, and just never took no for an answer was just willing to try to the point of failure and proved to himself that he could succeed in some really unique ways that no one expected him to yeah that's amazing i've got to listen to those it's <laughs> it hilarious amazing. yeah yeah with his funny accent and it's, yeah it's good but it's true it's like wow you know what an interesting story this guy has i mean came to this country and just got after it and it really is falling, falling, then getting back up and going back again. We all learn from our mistakes. And if you think you don't need to make mistakes, you're you're sadly mistaken because you really, really, that's how we learn. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and you're probably going to fail. But if you don't try, then you don't know. Right. And you'll never know. So that's that's true. So um, as you look back on your career, is there anything that you wished you had known about leading a tech business? that now you, you know, have learned? It's a great question. I think I wish I understood early on how, how to build a platform that would meet the demands of my user base in the next two, five, 10 years. Today, I have learned that lesson and so have my employees and we have built a platform that will allow us to future-proof our tech for the next you know, big blocks of time. We're thinking that far ahead. I'd wish Are I'd known that. Innovation, innovation or just forward thinking? Tell me a little bit more. Yeah, really focusing your time, you know, every month, dedicating some time on your calendar to thinking about your product roadmap, no matter what, and never skipping that time with yourself and always pulling in your employees and your stakeholders. Very important. Yep. Very important. 
you know, you can't just build your roadmap in January and expect that in August it's still good for the next six months. You need to be revisiting that roadmap every month. You know, even every week is not a bad exercise. And technology maybe, changes so fast, right? I mean, there's so much. Yep. Yep. So I think, you know, really building, and I don't mean like, I mean, I guess I do mean architecting your application so that it's future proofed, but I more just mean conceptually understanding where you want to go. Where do you want to be with the software, with the tech? What products do you want to be offering? Not just in one year, two years, or three years, but what do you want this to be in five years? What do you want it to be in 10 years? If you sold it in five years, what do you think the buyer wants it to be in 15 years? You know, like really thinking about those things early, not overdoing it, but I wish I had known that that skill would bring me a lot of success if I had started to adopt it every week into my calendar. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big lesson to learn, but um, very important. I think, you know, just looking at the future and that's, that's not just with the software and service, it's any business, right? It's whatever you're doing, you have to keep reinventing yourself um, and doing it a better, smarter, optimized way so that customers are seeing the benefit and you're growing every day. So it's, it's quite a challenge though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many lessons I've learned and I'm a fool to think I don't have a bunch ahead of me right now, but <laughs> that's one. Oh, that's great. No, that's great. So um, in closing, Kay, Katie, who inspires you and why? My team, our employees. Yeah. Okay. They're incredible. Yeah. They work incredibly hard and they are dedicated to the vision and they trust the process. You know, it's, it's a powerful thing when you see people putting in the kind of man hours you're willing to put in because this is your baby and your company and you're so tied to it. But when you see your team members doing that, it's just a whole other level of encouragement. Yeah. 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 They really have the passion for what you do, which is awesome. You have the right people, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. They're they're very inspiring and they bring their own contributions, you know, their own energy and hype for this business and ideas. And that's really cool. And it's very cool to see those employees growing. You know, mm -hmm. we've got a good example of this, a gentleman that started off in a CS role and is now an engineer and mm -hmm. now, you know, has really influential conversations with us around where this product goes next year, two years from now. Mm -hmm. And to see his career path and where it was two years ago and where he is today is just so cool. Yeah, that's very cool. That is very cool. I always say to my staff that, you know, I hire people with brains. I don't want robots. So I just <laughs> want you guys to always come up with ideas, have initiative, do things that make you happy, you know, be passionate, be enthusiastic about what we do. And we too have a really good team. So that that's great. I love yeah, that. It all comes back to that first story. You know, are you having fun? Do you think mm -hmm. other people want to follow you? That's right. That's right. And show, show them what you can do and they'll come, you know, if you build it, they'll come. Yes. That's, <laughs> that's great. All right. Well, Katie, this was such a pleasure. I love chatting with you. I think I could chat with you for another three hours, <laughs> um, but please share with our listeners how they can get a hold of you. Yeah. So you can find us on, you know, any browser pinsadvantage.com. That's our website. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn, Katie Rose. 
Pins Advantage is the company once again. And, you know, we'd love to talk to any of you about our product, talk to you about other products we're familiar with. So please check us out. That's great. Well, thank you again, Katie. It was such a pleasure. Yep. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. Please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Thank you. See you next week. From IT skill enhancements to end user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.